0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Prime Minister apologizes for the blackface videos. He claims he didn't know it was offensive. How can you be a Prime Minister and not? We have lots of reaction from lots of experts. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast.
1: Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, Justin Trudeau says he didn't know that uh, when he was uh, wearing blackface back in 2001, uh, there's three separate incidents of this, the latest being 2001 when he was 29, I believe, um, and a teacher in Vancouver, a teacher in Vancouver, a role model in Vancouver. He says he didn't know that blackface was wrong in 2001. He credits that too. Uh, leaving a life of privilege. I don't understand how uh, if you lead a life of privilege, you still can't be empathetic to others. Um, he said because of his privileged life, it created a blind spot. I would suggest that blind spot is anybody that's underneath him. Uh, let's start with the middle class. How, how can someone run a country who doesn't understand what people are doing? Forget about ethnicity and racial scenarios in this, I mean, how in touch are you with what's going on in the world? And as a drama teacher, you can't know the history of, of, of blackface in American history and, and entertainment. Are you kidding me? Minstrel shows and, and such. I mean, you're a drama teacher. So it all seems a bit bizarre that after three times, the prime minister can say, I didn't know it was wrong. And as I said in my commentary in the 60 in uh, yesterday, I, I was born in the 60s, was a kid in the 70s and 80s, young adult in the 80s. You know, I was in school assemblies. I had a DJ company for 10 years, played a bazillion Halloween dances. I don't remember anybody in blackface because we knew it was wrong. So how can you be blinded by your wealth as to this being wrong? I can understand you're not empathetic to what the people are going through, I guess. That doesn't make it acceptable. But how can you not know it's wrong? Let's bring in Noor al professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa. He is with us now. Noor, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Always, Scott. Your thoughts on um, not only the the images but the apologies afterwards and what has transpired in the last twenty four hours?
2: Um, Mr. Trudeau has uh, apologized a couple of times uh, now, and um, I think he's he's doing the right thing on uh, on that front. That's that's necessary, but it's uh, it's not sufficient. Uh, trying to get uh, some reasoning behind this that uh, this is because of his privilege or uh, that has created a blind spot for uh, for him, is completely uh, not acceptable. Now it is uh, high time for him to uh, go on and go beyond the uh, elections um, prospects uh, in, in general, and uh, he needs to follow this with, with some action. At the beginning of the campaign, we have uh, seen him dancing against, uh, on the lines of, the issue of Quebec and uh, Bill 21 and, uh, and the racist aspects that, uh, that are included in that. And uh, now it's it's time for him to come in and, uh, and get himself involved and say, OK, well, uh, we need to stand up to, to the police. We need to stand up to the wrong uh, policies, no matter what, what government uh, Uh, Is is doing those Uh, for God's sake? He's standing up for Putin, he's standing up for Maduro and Venezuela. You can stand up for a premier in Quebec under your jurisdiction. Uh, So, uh, Mr. Trudeau's uh, explanations are just a small part of the solution. Uh, He needs to go further uh, and and way beyond uh, beyond those explanations.
0: What about his uh, excuse? And, and again, I, I don't believe the prime Minister's is a racist um, uh, and his explanation of a blind spot um, because of his affluence, his privilege, um, uh, you know, I guess is justified. I don't live that lifestyle. But, I, 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 you know, and, and I, I guess I accept his apology. I mean, it still doesn't make this OK with me. But what I don't understand is how he could not have known this was wrong. Um, from uh, anybody who has any sort of university education, uh, even if you're a drama teacher, uh, you know the history of this in the American theater and minstrel shows and stuff. How can he not know this was not wrong?
2: Absolutely. I would believe somebody who has done that probably who is a 17-year-old at the Halloween party. Exactly. uh, in, In general. But to be 29 years old, a teacher, and a teacher, yeah, uh, living in outside your city. If you were in Montreal, the multicultural city, and you're living, you're moving to Vancouver, another multicultural uh, city. In the years 2000, 2001, you're the son of a prime minister that has spoken a lot about racism and multiculturalism. Uh, absolutely not, you cannot. And that happened after his eulogy to his father uh, in the in the year 2000, and people were looking at him as a potential MP and potential. Uh, prime minister in uh, in the future. He was he was not the 17-year-old and to, to say that he did not know that or because of his privileged style is uh, completely unacceptable.
0: And, and that's the part that I'm having a problem with on this, Noor. I mean, I accept his apology. Uh, I, I accept that he is not a, a racist or trying to be a racist. But, you know, if he is so ignorant of this fact, How can he identify with anyone else who didn't grow up in that elite society? I mean, you know, he's ignorant of blackface. You know, you you could look back at the whole middle class and say, you've never walked in these shoes. How can you possibly be empathetic to these people?
2: Uh, And uh, that raises a big, uh, big question about his uh, his leadership. A lot of things that he is putting forward in terms of his policies that to lift people out of poverty, that are talking about the middle class, uh, and a lot of policies that if you don't have to live those experiences if you only learn about them and know about them. And nobody should have is privileged to learn about these things more than someone who grew up with Pierre-Elliott I've read every statement that is written by Pierre-Elliott This man... Before Even before Indy entered politics, he had a position on everything in life. And uh, most importantly, the justice issues. Uh, he is someone who was very knowledgeable of all the little details, whether it's about families, about same-sex marriage, about uh, the LGBTQ community, about racialized uh, uh, communities, about Canadians, well-traveled around the world, knowledgeable of all political aspects and streams, and... For Justin Trudeau, just to be at the dinner table with his dad once yeah, yeah. should be should be more than enough to learn about these things.
0: Yeah, I hear you. Um, uh, to to me, and again, over and above this issue, um, to me, you can look at this and compare it to every other issue, whether it's the blackface issue, whether it's SNC lavalin He just doesn't seem to have the depth to understand this, and to me this proves it this like if, if if you have a blind spot to this what else do you have a blind spot to
2: yeah. we have uh, we've known in the campaign of 2015 Scott, that uh, uh, in the lead up uh, to the to the campaign and he was the leader of a third party and he's he was accused of being light on policy and uh, that's when they just kind of uh, uh, kind of shielded him a little bit and they had Gerald Butts the focus on working on uh, on policy with, uh, with with Justin Trudeau. And then suddenly he won elections uh, on by strategic voting he became the, the prime minister of the country. And it looks like uh, he was not running the show. There are other people in his entourage that are running the show. And he hasn't learned from that uh, a lot. We have seen this prime minister in office apologizing a hundred times about too many things um and um, i we have seen him retracting his positions on a lot of policies we have seen those blind spots uh, in uh, uh in in, in many situations, whether it is about democratic reform, whether it is about the, uh, the, in the SNC-level case, whether it is about uh, uh, dealing with uh, in, in indigenous uh, people, whether it is pipe, about pipelines, whether it is about the budget. So when you have created a lot of those blind spots, don't expect anything better uh, when he is explaining the, uh, the case of the, of, the, of, the, of the brown face and black face.
0: All right. Noor Al-Qadri has been with us, professor at the Telfer School of Management, University of Ottawa. Noor, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Always, Scott. Thank you.
0: All right. Let's bring in another guest, Dr. Paul Laurie, uh, associate professor, Department of History, senior fellow, Institute of Urban Studies, University of Winnipeg. And he is with us now. Paul, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Uh, is the issue here about an apology and, 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 and trying to explain what, ha- well, is the issue here an apology and the, the racial side of this, or is the issue, how can a sitting prime minister have not known this was wrong?
3: Well, it's a two part question there. Uh, first, I would say that while an apology is obviously warranted and necessary mm-hmm. uh, in this case, and the Prime Minister gave one yesterday right here in Winnipeg, where I'm at, um, I think that's just part of the uh, larger picture because I think what the main thing that we need to take from this is what are the larger structural issues that led him uh and many others as we've seen a resurgence in in blackface or brownface throughout north america throughout the western world uh feel that this was something that was appropriate you know what were the conditions that allowed him to think that or to feign ignorance on his part as he said uh that he didn't know that this was a racist gesture and that this was deeply hurtful to large groups of of people of color marginalized uh People. So um, I'm not quite, uh, when people use the defenders of him claim that, well, it was in 2001 and it was, you know, youthful indiscretion. uh, I think that's a little bit disingenuous on their part. And I think that distracts us from the larger issues at hand.
0: So if it it raises the question, you know, he said his affluence created a blind spot for this. Yes. Uh, Yes. He didn't understand how it hurt people so much that's another issue. But again, yeah. we all know it's wrong.
4: Absolutely. And have and I've
0: known for years prior to that. Uh, what does that say that he didn't know?
3: Well, I think it speaks to the the bubble of, of privilege. I know that's a word that has become uh, quite fashionable to use uh, when it, in current uh, discourse when we're talking about racial issues. Uh, but not just racial, but class. That's my uh, whole—that's my right, whole yeah. point
0: here, Paul. A- is absolutely. That what, does he have a blind spot for the whole middle class here? How can he possibly understand what these people are going through, even what the indigenous people are going through, if he doesn't understand blackface is wrong? Well, one thing I would
3: say is that the bubble that uh, the prime minister grew up in—that uh, was, you know, engendered by his affluence—we all live in our own respective bubbles. Uh, whether that's based on racial or class or gender, I mean we all are we all have limits right to what we to the worlds that we live in. again, as you have said, it is absolutely unconscionable that one wouldn't know that something such as brownface or blackface is unacceptable, no matter where you are coming from so i'm not using that in a means to absolve him of this, but just mm-hmm. to put it in context of the fact that we're all blinkered in these in these manners it's just very glaring that the the sitting prime minister of the country and particularly one who professes uh... that diversity is our strength uh, could so very recently eighteen years is not that long ago mm. could very recently be uh, ignorant of, of these of these things and i do believe him i must say i do mm. believe him when he says that yeah. he was ignorant of that i can't look into the man's heart um, I don't believe him to be, from, you know, having never met him. Uh, it isn't about condemning him as a hateful yep. person or a bigot or anything like that. Agreed. because I don't. I don't think that solves anything. But it is about how do we address this ignorance? How do we address this glaring, as he put it, blind spot created by his privilege and, as I said, a blind spot in which we all. We all have our respective
0: spots. So he has apologized. What does he need to do next, Paul? And what sort of actions do, does he need to take?
3: What he needs to do is he needs to move, as we all do. We all need to move from, he called for a conversation yesterday. I would push him to say that we need to take action, and not just Justin Trudeau. Uh, I would not want this to, when it predictably disappears from the news in a week or two, and sort of the way our news cycle works, we move on to the next uh, outrage i wouldn't want it to take away from the as i said the structural issues that allowed this to take place in the first place i'll just put it in this way in terms of you mentioned indigenous peoples it, missing and murdered indigenous women or the lack of clean drinking water on on various reserves these people their lives are not affected as to whether or not justin trudeau feels guilty for wearing blackface or brownface face or not their daily lives that has no bearing on their daily lives So he needs to take action, not just words, not just conversation. He needs to take action, put policies, and he needs to be pushed by all of us, whether across the political spectrum and whoever the political leaders we elect, to take concrete action to try and uh, rectify these inequalities that we have, not just with indigenous peoples, uh, but across class lines, uh, you know, lower-income people of all backgrounds. Hmm. Uh, you know, to address inequalities that allow people in positions of privilege to feel that they can mock or humiliate or dehumanize certain people. So this is about all of us, as is how I would I would frame it. And I would want to see come from this, not just we. Uh, you know, as, it, as as many of my students uh, would say, you know, we cancel Justin Trudeau. Right and we feel better about ourselves, but that doesn't do anything mm. to, to rectify the issue.
0: Dr. Paul Laurie has been with us, Associate Professor, Department of History, Senior Fellow, Institute of Urban Studies, University of Winnipeg. Paul, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me.
1: You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I was hoping I wouldn't uh, be asked that question. Had it be you that asked it. You, you had to ask me that question, right, Justin? I'm surprised. And I was more surprised when I saw the number of times. And, you know, I've always had a good relationship with Justin. Uh, I just don't know what to tell you. It's, I was surprised by it, actually.
0: Uh, you can't help but think the, uh, the Trump man's gloating there. Uh, you think I'm bad? Look at that guy. Come on. What does that statement say? I was hoping you wouldn't ask me. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Oh, don't ask me. Okay, here's what I think. Uh, let's bring in John Delacourt, Vice President of Public Affairs at hill Knowlton Strategies. He is with us now. John, thank you for waiting. Uh, I accept the apology. I can't get past that he didn't know this. What are your thoughts?
4: Uh, with regard to um, the Prime Minister himself, and yeah. Uh, I, and, yeah I, have uh, a hard,
0: I have a hard time accepting that he didn't know this was wrong.
4: Yeah. Privile- well, privilege know, or uh, no privilege? Mhm. Well, I, I, I think it's uh I I'm only going on the information that uh that the that the Prime Minister has provided us and uh I, I think, you know, it is of course it is a curious situation where, you know, it provokes uh our own reflection on how how can someone not understand that blackface is wrong. Um even, you know, from uh, the year he was born. I think all of us have known that, uh, that uh, the, the implications of, of blackface. Um, I, I take to your point. I, I take the prime minister's apology. Um, I, I think he is more than sincere on this. Mm-hmm. Um, my perspective from knowing the man and and his and his time in office. I do think that there is something that occurs when you are in office. And, and more to the point, um, when you become an MP, um, I, I do see more than a grain of truth. I actually think that it is entirely credible when he says that he really got an understanding of the implications of, of, uh, of marginalization, of racism, in, um, when he had to deal with constituents in Papineau. Um, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and, and I also think that, it, that uh, there is no way you can do his job effectively um, without having that greater lens on, on I think, just, just the basic understanding of civics and human rights in this country that, that I think he's, 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 he's operated on for quite some time. So
0: he wouldn't have known until he was an elected uh, MP that the, 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 what the rest go through? I, I mean, you know, he used the, the phrase that he, you know, he, there was a blind spot. Um, what, what I question is, is the blind spot just to those uh, uh, who have an issue w- with, this, with the ethnicity and the racial implications here? Or does
4: he have a blind right. spot whoever, to everybody who doesn't run in the elite? well um I, I think the challenge here is that you know we can't we can't go into uh his mind and 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 sense when that transition occurred when he when he fully understood the implications of this. I do understand though why this would be uh, uh, an embarrassment of such proportions that uh, that you would resist. Even in a what we call a green light process uh, for for you know for MPs whether whether they are, can can run or, or run for nomination, I can understand entirely why this would be something that you would you would not want surface. You you would and and feel embarrassed and perhaps even mortified about. Um, and, so. When that transition occurred, when he really understood the implications of what he has done, um, we, we can only speculate, really. Um, and and, and, and I, I don't see this necessarily as a, as a question of elitism. I think, uh, unfortunately, uh, ra- racism and blind spots towards racism transcend class. No, uh, but he said, he said it was his privilege that stopped him mm-hmm. from
0: seeing this. Now yeah, I hope he's <laughs> not insinuating that all white people think it's fine to wear blackface because that's where you know, I mean, come on, like don't paint the rest of us while you're trying to apologize for your bad judgment and and what about growing up in the house of a prime minister and a well-respected one, no matter your political stripe? Mm-hmm. How you know certain things
4: rub off? How can this not? Well, I you know uh, I, again uh, I. It's far be it for me as a political strategist to to tell you, um, you know, uh, the to read into uh, the motives of of the prime minister on the on this. I, I mean, I can tell you from um, the implications of it for the campaign. I can certainly tell you the implications uh, for, All right, for the Liberal let, Party let, right now. I understand. <laughs>
0: Let's go there, John. Um, so, how yeah. does this change the campaign? What does he have to do now?
4: Yeah. Well, I think um, over the last 24 hours, uh, you know, it, I think it was notable that um, in the initial press conference, um, there was a level of contrition I think that he was getting to um, that was already in marked contrast to what we what we all saw during the SNC-Lavalin uh scandal or challenge, whatever you want to call it. Um, however, as of yesterday in Winnipeg, and then further to that, um, when he was in um, in Saskatchewan for a roundtable or a um, uh, town hall, I think what you saw there was a deepening of the the of the level of contrition, a, chi- a shift in tone. I think the implications uh, uh, of this have registered with him, and and I think tone, uh, the credibility and the authenticity of contrition. These are the factors that I think will 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 enable him perhaps to weather this and, and perhaps the, you know in so doing the government to weather this. Um, I think that 's that's, that's really what 's going to be the key factor uh, in, in any kind of um, uh, i guess uptick in in what we may see in the polls and what we may see in the, in the support uh, for the liberal Party
0: What about policy? Will we see any policy shifts here due
4: to this? Well, it's you know that's really interesting to me because, you know, um, part of what a war room does, as we know, is is disclose information on on various candidates. We saw this play out in the first week of the campaign, and and with that, I think what what you saw was um, a a strategy that um, we've seen in in numerous election cycles, and that is where you know, video from. Uh, social media posts, say from you know five ten years ago, is is, is revealed. Um, candidate's character is questioned, and then and then possible resignation occurs. Um, the Liberal Party was um, really active in this in the first week. It is it dramatically shifts um, their approach to strategy. Now, um, I think they have to look at. Um, what they can what they can um i guess foreground in terms of policy announcements and and so I think you're going to see a shift in tone for, in terms of um a focus on policy as we saw today with the uh with the handguns announcement or the um uh, uh, so so you'll see more of that um and i think you what you'll see less ad hominem attacks and and a, and a stronger uh line um defined in terms of you know Conservative policies and liberal policies. Less ad hominem, more to the point of um, policy um, uh,
0: policy differences. No more throwing stones, I guess, for a while. Uh, John Della, <laughs> John Delacourt's been with us, Vice President, of Public Affairs at Hill Knowlton Strategies. John, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated.
4: No, thank you. You're listening to
1: the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, let's bring in Dan McTagg, uh, gas guru, of course, uh, energy analyst, and former Liberal Party uh, MP and consumer affairs critic. He is with us now. Dan, as a as a as a former politician, what do you think about all of this? Wow, well,
5: hard for a leopard to change its spots. I mean, uh, the fact is, I think this is more than once we've seen this uh, this Prime Minister in trouble, and of course part of his uh part of his pedigree was that he had some kind of international uh reputation yeah he and had was, the inside yeah.
0: workings he knew how this yeah, all worked I mean,
5: this guy had uh, this guy had that kind of uh, je ne sais quoi you know making around in international circles now he's the international laughing stock and i I can't see us going to various international forum, UN, and giving a serious speech when, in the back of the minds of most of the representatives of those countries, if not the countries themselves, uh, you know, a fairly serious, uh, re- you know, uh, reflection on what uh, what he represents. And uh, it's not just this issue; it's all the other issues, which I mean yeah, have yeah. been talked about ad nauseum. And there are people and flaxing and defenders. By the way, you just had a defender of Trudeau. Uh, before before the uh, news break, mm. John Delacorte, he, yeah. there's a guy who was involved with the vetting of liberal candidates. Why yeah. did not he vet Trudeau? Yeah, I mean, this is you know the, the problem here is that you've got a lot of people with a lot of interest in making sure that Trudeau remains, uh, and it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people are saying, "Well, there's nothing to see here" because they're embarrassed by the fact they voted for him. Uh, and the reality here is that he's been a colossal disappointment domestically and internationally. I just don't know how the country can continue to hold its head up. Uh, when such a shameful thing is taking place, I accept that an apology. I will always accept an apology, but it it means that he's not capable of leading the country. And I, you know, quite a, aside, if the if the person is given to this kind of nonsense, uh, then you ought not to have him as a leader. Uh, it's 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 okay to forgive, and it's great to, that he's asked for forgiveness. But it makes disqualifies him really for the ability to run as, as a leader. And anybody who doesn't see it that way. I think is simply, uh, you know, trying to find an excuse because they like the Trudeau name or because they're finding other reasons. But the other reasons just don't add up. There is nobody who is, uh, you know, engaged in this kind of behavior who is a leader of a country in, in recent memory. I can't remember Prime Minister Mulroney, Kretzian, Martin, um, Harper, any of them that have, uh, you know, have stooped so low, while at the same time, moralizing and lecturizing and pontificating about, you know, how we ought to virtue signal and that, you know, we, uh, you know we, we, we have to do more on feminism, we have to do more on race and on diversity. Everything he's spoken and talked about and stood for he himself personally has violated. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see how
0: people can. And and it I think that em- I think that emphasizes everything is yeah. that you know especially during the first part of this campaign he was quick to like throw the mud at everybody else. Oh
5: and, no, and He disqualified himself. Yeah. He's totally disqualified himself. And I you know I, I I feel sorry for for liberal candidates. I know exactly what they're going through. They won because of him. They didn't win because of their own. They didn't run on their own steam or the Liberal Party name. It was all Trudeau. Once that Trudeau name takes a hit, the party's in real trouble, and the candidates know that right now. I've spoken to about four of them in the past, uh, three of them, rather, in the past uh, 18 hours, and uh, they're, uh, they're really, really panicking. And they're going to put on a brave face, they have the talking points, et cetera. But it's, uh, it's going to be hard to knock on the door while you're carrying such a huge albatross. Uh, which represents an often 90% of the vote.
0: You know, by, and, by his, his, I, and again, like you, I accept the apology and such, but I just have a hard time understanding that he did not know this was wrong, and if it's his blind spot due to privilege, what else is he blind to? And that basically admits you're not qualified. If you don't know this, you're not qualified.
5: No, and this really does set in motion what I think will be a very different outcome in the campaign. For one thing, the Liberals can no longer accept that the NDP vote will simply be theirs and that uh, what has bled away will potentially give them support in places like Quebec and others that uh, can be taken for granted. I, I think the Liberals have to really worry about now is that they've discouraged their base. I mean, I know that base. And uh, once they're motivated, they'll come out. If Liberals aren't motivated to come out and vote and support, it means the Liberals are in big trouble uh, in less than a month.
0: Is there a way out of this for him? Can he, a policy come up with, oh, a new different way of doing things? But I guess we've all heard that before, haven't we? No, and I think, you
5: know, you're really putting track of a bit of lipstick on a pig here. It's not possible to do that. And I think in the context of what's happened, I think it's really a question of mitigating and minimizing the damage that has been done. And I would expect that, uh, I mean, he's not going to resign. He's uh, he made that very clear. I am more concerned that there will be other revelations that will be yeah. uh, that will be distributed secretively or over time in, in order to push back. I and mean, the Liberals invited us. They went out. They started baiting candidates going back 10, 15 years. Uh, they, threw, they threw the first punch, and boy, did they get it right back. But I guess the issue here for me is when do we get on to talking about policy? And those are going to be big, big issues. If you've got a prime minister who's avoiding debates. Uh, we only go to two: uh, one French, one English, and then one for KVL. So uh, I just, you know, I don't think we're going to get quite the full picture of what uh, all the parties stand for. I think this has really caused a lot of uh, voters to to recoil. And I, unfortunately, I think that's uh, if I were the prime minister and I was in that kind of circumstance where something like this had been revealed, being the top leader of the country. Uh, I would have probably reconsidered my uh, political options and said maybe it's time for me to go. Hmm.
0: Uh, David Aiken of, of Global News suggested that to him yesterday and and asked him if he would consider resigning. Obviously, as you said, uh, that's not the case. Uh, uh, let now the elections can the, the election. What's that? It's too late. Yeah. It's yeah too I late. mean, you can't you can't change yeah. the horse yeah um that being said the campaign is trying to plow forward uh, shear says that he'd fast track uh, pipeline challenges straight to the Supreme Court what can Andrew shear do that Justin Trudeau couldn't or can't do or hasn't to get pipelines built we've seen this play before uh,
5: you know you get an approval you go through a company goes through the exercise of several
0: millions if not billions
5: of dollars of uh, Consultation, preliminary designs, uh, appeals before the uh, regulatory board. The regulatory board uh, makes a decision based on current law. Those laws get changed. They've been challenged by every Tom, Dick, and Harry that's out there, and every organization that's well-funded. From take your pick of organizations that uh, are heavily involved with uh, fighting, uh, you know, the Canadian oil sands. So that would be the uh, the one that uh, everyone knows, of course, the Rockefellers, the uh, the Hewlett and the Packard uh you know foundations the sierra club greenpeace tides uh you know uh, there's just a a litany of these organizations and one of course that no one ever mentions uh which is known as the post code lottery Uh, several billions of dollars out of europe it's a lottery and about a third of that goes to fund these organizations so you're talking about a lot of money uh designed to stop and to have Lower court judges, that's not to be disrespectful, but making decisions and then deciding in another decision, the same judge in the federal court saying you have to have a different mode of, of consultation and changing the, the goalpost, if you will. No, we need to refer these to the Supreme Court of Canada at clarity. Why? Businesses can't operate and they will leave the country and do what Kinder Morgan did. Accept $4.5 billion of your money and mine and go build pipelines in the United States instead with that money as opposed to uh, building where it's greatly needed. Here in Canada. So I think it's clear that we have to get this to the Supreme Court. We need to make sure that these challenges are met at the highest levels, and if there are subsequent challenges, that they're dismissed as frivolous and vexatious, which is what a lot of these are.
0: Uh, give us an update on Saudi Arabia. We understand after the attacks there, they are back up online and back to normal. Yeah. Uh, what will we see price wise? Is there going to be an effect here?
5: Well, I think prices have firm up. I don't think we're going to fall. And, uh, you know, I said on Saturday to uh, some of my friends, I tweeted on the site. I, I knew the Saudis would come back, and no matter how the damage would, would occur, that they would uh, suggest that they could get this up and running very quickly. Uh, you know, it's in Saudi Arabia's interest. They're trying to sell Saudi Aramco. They're going public with that. It's a multi-billion dollar company. It's uh, arguably going to be the largest IPO uh, offering uh, ever. And they need to make sure that they have stable prices behind that. I'm not suggesting they stage this themselves. But uh, you know, I've worked for the Saudis on other cases, consular cases, uh, saving the life of William Stanton, who was beheading back in the early 2000s. Uh, they're a strange bunch, but they're very predictable. I'm not so sure that, given the, you know, the, the deep political considerations, the deep visceral. Uh, tensions that exist in that part of the world it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, not all that we appear, it does not all appears to be what we think it is that this is really Rand's fault. Hmm. Uh, there could be a lot more to this, but whatever the case may be, I think we have to look at the bigger picture and not rush to, uh, to judgment. I think that's where. Trump has finally realized maybe saying, well, no, there wasn't such a bright thing to do, and certainly not follow it up with an attack when you haven't got all the evidence.
0: Hmm. Um, as we head into this next election, where is the Trans Mountain Pipeline? Any movement, anything, <laughs> any news from that between now and election time?
5: If we had a dug in the United every time we talked about the fact that yeah. it's not going to go ahead. If we yeah, put a shovel in hard. the ground, if
0: we had put a shovel in the ground for every time we talked about it, we'd have it dug <laughs> by now. You know, when I
5: told I have in many uh, press in the West and even in the East Coast, I say the one critical thing you need to see here is something called mobilization permits. And until I see those, I know that everything is just talk. Uh, no contractor is going to go and rent heavy equipment, get uh, the ability to get onto the site, start digging, and to bring in what's necessary to make those pipes move. It's okay to shunt around you know, pipes and then uh, you know, give the impression that something's happening. But until mobilization permits are issued, No person can honestly say that that thing is uh, underway. Now, we have the Minister of Energy, Energy, Emergy Sohi, who has said it's the case. I challenged him on that. Of course, no response. But, you know, you're dealing with people who uh, just really engage in window dressing, get past the election so that, you know, when we have a hung parliament or we have a minority government or we have the Greens basically calling the shots, that project is as good as done. Maybe they'll sell off the existing pipeline to our First Nations. Who knows? I know that uh, some people I speak to in the uh, in the oil patch are telling me that uh, they've already been approached by organizations saying, "Hey, you know, uh, would you be willing to fund or help fund, uh, you know, uh, indigenous uh, ownership of some pipelines?" But I mean, these are early days. But the reality is that this federal Liberal government never had any intention of getting that built. They don't want the political heat, and of course, now it's less likely that they will form a majority government, let alone a minority government, uh, this thing is definitely up in the air. And until uh, Canadians uh, vote for a party that's prepared to put our energy, uh, particularly in the western side of the country, put our energy and resources first, we're in big trouble, uh, both politically but more importantly, economically. Uh, We need to get a pipeline to the Asian markets, like it or not.
0: All right. Uh, take the gas hat, uh, gas hat off. Put the uh, politician hat back on for a sec. How damaging <laughs> is this? How does this change the campaign moving forward?
5: Well, I don't think you're going to see mudslinging uh, the likes of which the Liberals will go out and start picking, uh, you know, and trying to, you know, decipher and go after everybody's background. They do. They're foolish because there's more. There's a likely. Uh, there's this likely more missiles on their way to hit the Liberals in ways that they couldn't possibly imagine with respect to the. Uh, the standing, uh, the credibility of their leader, Justin Trudeau. And remember, the Liberals are extremely vulnerable. They were, they were elected on the thin edge of the Trudeau name. They were not elected because policy. Uh, there's all sorts of other reasons why they came in in 2015, but the name Trudeau uh, is, uh, is monumental. It's, uh, you know, this is a pantheon of great leaders, and that name still means a lot to a heck of a lot of people. Now that it's been damaged, I don't think they can afford any more hits. Uh, So, you know, a few more of these torpedoes coming from international press, which I thought was very interesting. The fact that uh, those who put this forward and uh, did not trust the Canadian media to get it out there and had to embarrass Canadians internationally, I think is very telling and is likely Mm. to be more there. I would say the Liberals are in trouble. I think the, uh, the, the idea of them forming a majority government has almost... You know, evaporated, but there's still four weeks in the campaign. Uh, I think it's uh, it's definitely a minority government. It's a question of who's liberal or conservative. And even if the liberals don't have enough seats, will they team up with uh, the bloc, uh, the Greens, and the NDP to form such a government? Uh, giving, uh, given the comments by Jagmeet Singh, who I think was the real winner in all of this, yeah. I doubt he's going to be willing to sit down with Trudeau and make a deal.
0: Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP and consumer affairs critic, energy analyst as well. Dan, uh, thanks so much for the time and uh, opinion on many fronts. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend.
5: Pleasure being here. Thanks for having me and have a great weekend.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: All right. uh, Many have talked about what the top issues are in the election. And sometimes what we hear the most about aren't necessarily the number one issues, a lot of climate change, important for a lot of people, but not necessarily a number one or number two issue. We're hearing an awful lot about immigration. Are people unhappy with the immigration system? Or again, is this just politics saying, hey, these people think that way, those people think that way? Uh, so let's uh, delve more into this and, and find out exactly how much immigration is playing into uh, uh, the election at this point. Uh, we are going to bring in a uh, we are going to bring in Brian Hill. He is the online writer and researcher, investigative reporter for Global News. The article is just 0.3% of irregular migrants in, uh, migrants into Canada have found to have a serious criminal past. To talk more about all of this, Brian is with us now. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
6: Oh, my pleasure.
0: Is immigration that much of an issue for Canadians in this election? How big of an election issue is it, do you think?
6: I I mean I think it's very important to a lot of people um you know from a statistical standpoint we've done polling that uh recent polling from Ipsos that shows it's the seventh most important uh issue to Canadians so like you say not the top one or two but it is important and one of the other points you did uh, raise as well which the polling numbers we've got back speak to is this uh a political divide so among those people who say that uh uh, 14% of the people that were responded in this poll said that immigration was among their top three issues uh, in, for the upcoming election. And among those people, uh, more than, or uh, roughly half of them believed the conservatives had the best approach to handling immigration. Uh, and, and it's sort of one of the key issues where you really do see a, a political divide in terms of uh, those people who uh, think immigration is important, tend to support the Conservatives or even Maxime Bernier's party, the People's Party of Canada, whereas those people who uh, don't see it as such a key issue tend to support uh, other parties. Are you
0: surprised we're hearing as much about it on the campaign trail as we do, considering it's like what a top seven issue for most? Um, Is it being
6: politicized
0: more than it is a concern for voters?
6: There's no doubt that uh, immigration, particularly the uh, refugee and asylum seeker side of the immigration equation, has got a lot of attention in the last few years. Uh, As everybody knows, uh, the number of asylum seekers that have come to Canada has increased significantly in the past few years. So just as a by way of an example, uh, in uh, uh, 2015, the number of claimants was just 16,000, or 2014, sorry, the number of claims was just 16,000. Last year, it was 55,000. So there's been, uh, you know, a threefold increase in terms of the number of people making claims in ca- uh, asylum claims in Canada, uh, many of them coming across the border irregularly into Quebec uh, at Roxham Road. And that uh, has uh, put, thrust this issue really into the spotlight. So I'm not surprised that it's got a lot of attention, particularly in Quebec and Ontario, which is where the uh, vast majority of the asylum seekers uh, do end up. So uh, it's it's certainly a topic that's been top of mind, especially when you see the debates between you know the Ford government in Ontario and the the the, the current Liberal government. Is, they were quite heated last summer, hmm. as everybody knows, right? Uh,
0: we remember when this this trend started; it was in the news quite a bit. You said uh, fifty five thousand last year. Uh, what is the state of this situation now? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Has it died down? Uh, how are we managing this problem now? It hasn't been in the news a lot of late.
6: right? So generally speaking, the numbers of people crossing the border irregularly uh, through these non-official ports of entry are lower than they were, say, a year ago. Um, the high, that big peak that we saw in the summer of 2018 has has reduced. Um, but it's still high, right? The numbers of claimants are still high. So like I say, 55,000 claims made last year, 47,000 claims made the year before Uh, At the halfway point of this year, so the end of June, there were 27,000 claims. So
0: we're on target for another big year.
6: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and I mean, you know... this looks like a lot of the experts we've talked to. It looks like this is a trend that will continue, and I mean, there's one key reason for that, and that's really what's happening south of the border yeah. in the United States and the sort of anti-immigrant, uh, anti-refugee uh, rhetoric that we hear, as well as some key policy decisions like removing protected status for people from certain countries, such as such as Haiti or, or Guatemala, for example. So that's driving people. Uh, to re- or causing people to really think about how secure they are in America, and many of them are making the choice to, you know, try their luck in Canada.
0: So we really haven't had, we really haven't seen a lot of uh, this resolved as far as people going through holes or in the fence, uh, for lack of a better term. That, that still is, it still is, is an issue. We haven't encouraged these people to try to do it legally.
6: So, well, I mean, first of all, if to clarify, it is legal to cross the border at a non-official point of entry to make an asylum claim. Um, there is a lot of debate about uh, whether it's illegal. Now, crossing the border, uh, you know... Crossing the border I, at
0: an unimproved check site is illegal, though.
6: That is that is correct. Yes. However, that, illeg- that illegality is essentially made null and void once you make the refugee claim. Yes. So... Canada's Canada's immigration laws, as well as international laws, allow people to cross border uh, cross the border at non points of entry for the purpose of making a claim. Um, but you're right; the the, the numbers certainly uh, have maintained uh, and haven't gone back down to those historic levels. And each party has pretty clear perspectives on what needs to be done. And, and you know, so from left to right, really, you've got the Greens saying that that safe third country agreement with the United States. Uh, that should be scrapped. The NDP thinks it should be suspended. Uh, the Liberals have increased restrictions at the border and say that's sufficient and that this should uh, essentially help stem the flow. While well, the Conservatives have said that uh, if elected, they would close that loophole and would stop the people coming across the border.
0: Uh, do you think, and you're talking about how this has is directly related to what's happening in the United States, are politicians hesitant to touch this simply because they think if there's a change in government in the, in the United States, this problem might go away? Uh,
6: it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, we've t- I've talked to a lot of migration experts and refugee experts about this, and the overwhelming consensus is that the people coming across the border talk about the, the, their motivations, and it's really the, the sort of environment or the sentiments that they feel in America. So, um you're right. It's it's possible that if uh, the uh, political circumstances in the United States were to change, that that could have a significant effect um, on uh, the number of refugees flowing into Canada. Because can, that's why essentially people are are claiming uh, asylum in Canada in the first place is because they no longer uh, feel safe in America or feel like they're they're that that's somewhere where they can remain. So. Uh, you know, whether or not that's why politicians are, are uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, I, I can't speak to their motivations there, but it's certainly something that experts talk to in terms of motivations and, a you know, a possible scenario in which could see levels be reduced.
0: All right, so let's talk, uh, Brian, about those that are coming in. Um, those that are against immigration uh, will say that, you know, there's crime, there's this. We've certainly heard that rhetoric coming from uh, south of the border. Uh, But what are you finding out in in your studies?
6: Sure. So, uh, you know, this is something, like you say, we hear a lot about um, uh, commenting on the number and the amount of criminality or people who have serious criminal paths that are entering. Uh, We've got back statistics from Immigration Canada, as well as from the Canada Border Service Agency and the Immigration Refugee Board that show, in fact, the number of people who are coming across that border at these unofficial ports of entry uh, have the very... Percentage with criminal, serious criminal past is very low, just 0.3%. Uh, so 140 of 45,000 uh, border crossers have been found to have a serious criminal path. So from that regard, it's 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 very very low. And we've heard from law enforcement uh, uh, officials that confirm that yes, at the border, this this rate of criminality is low.
0: Uh, I'll play devil's advocate here. Is it because perhaps the uh, vetting uh, process isn't good enough? Are we doing enough to make sure and confirm
6: all of this? So there can always be improvements to the to the vetting process. Um, we talked to uh, Kelly Sundberg. He's a security expert uh, out of uh, Mont Royal University in Calgary. He actually helped uh, write some of the, the, the Canada's new uh, border security laws in that immediate process. Uh, post uh post 911 era and uh you know that's one thing that he points to saying that we can do better in terms of information sharing with our partners enhanced uh, biometrics and the like at the border to uh track migrants as they flow across the border uh but he, even he says with you know a lot of experience that the, the overwhelming majority of the people coming to the border our families and people who are fearing persecution. So certainly, uh, there, there's always room for improvement. The CBSA has been arguing for quite some time uh, for expanded powers uh, to be able to essentially create a border patrol um, and, and kind of taking that responsibility away from the RCMP. Um, you know, the the, fe- the current government has allocated more money to the CBSA um, for b- border security, so it's not. Quite sure how that will be allocate, allocated in the future, um, but uh, you know, there, there, I think anybody who believes in immigration uh, or who supports uh, Canada's humanitarian uh, obligations as well believes that we uh, Canada needs to have a robust system. So you can't just say open the floodgates, which is I right. think what people worry about. Uh, so yeah, of course, there has to be a robust system in place that. Um, <clears throat> Can detect problems that are there uh, as, as well. When we do find problem cases, uh, that the government has the resources and the ability to, in a you know, expeditious way, to to see through that those people are no longer allowed to remain in Canada. So when you have the really serious criminals or organized crime or people who are a threat to national security, even though those numbers are small. Um, When the cases happen, obviously the government needs to have the tools and the ability to remove those people. Do we know of uh,
0: these people that do cross illegally through uh, non-official checkpoints, uh, border crossings? Of the people that are coming in illegally, do we know how many of them are actually qualifying for refugee status?
6: Yes, we do. Um, So... Uh, since the since if we're talking about just the irregular migration that's come across beginning in uh, April of 2017, roughly half of all of those claims that have been processed uh, have been approved. So uh, the, depending on who you talk to, the number is different. So right. Canada calculates uh, the the way Canada calculates its acceptance rate is slightly different than the way the United Nations calculates the acceptance rate for refugees. And without getting into too much of the details, according to Canada's statistics, 49.4% of the irregular border crossers who've made claims and had their cases heard have been approved. So just under half. According to the UN calculation, it's 53%.
0: So what so, happens to the other half,
6: Brian? So it really depends. Uh, and and that's a, this is a fascinating part of this, this whole equation. So it depends on where you're from. So for, I'll give you a great example. Um, Haiti. Uh, Haiti is a country that uh, we've seen a large number of people come here. The reason why is because many thousands of them, roughly 60,000 Haitians, were living temporarily in the United States
0: yeah.
6: uh, on visas. Those visas were then, the threat was made from Donald Trump that uh, their, their status would be revoked. And this and was after as, the earthquake, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. exactly. So those people came to America after the earthquake in 2010, that 7.1 earthquake that really just decimated Haiti, right? And, and Canada was actively involved in the recovery and, and, and rebuilding efforts in Haiti, right? And that's still ongoing. Um, and so, at any rate, these Haitians came, were either in America or shortly came, thereafter came to the United States and they were given leave essentially to stay. That was lifted, or or the threat was there, and that had then caused since caused people to come to Canada. Now they have a quite a low acceptance rate, so the acceptance rate for Haitian claims is around thirty percent, and relative to the overall rate for irregular migrants, that's that's low, right? Fifty percent versus thirty. But Haiti is a country where Canada actually has this thing that we call it an administrative deferral, so as it stands right now, Canada doesn't actively remove people to Haiti. Mm -hmm. And that's because uh, Haiti is still in such... um,
0: Right, um, disarray, yeah.
6: Yeah, disarray uh, uh, following that earthquake. So uh, though their claims are uh, rejected because they don't necessarily, you know, 30% are accepted, keep in mind, but the uh, the remaining portion that are rejected... Uh, they still, it's still too dangerous, essentially, to send them back to Haiti. So they stay. Venezuela is another country. Uh, Iraq would be another country. Yemen, uh, some parts of Somalia, South Sudan. There are a number of countries that, uh, um, you know, the Central African Republic um, that are war Syria, war-torn, or countries that Mm -hmm. are in civil wars, or where uh, Haiti, the the earthquake, and, and the like, Um, And so Canada doesn't remove those people even when their claims fail. And then there's a distinction there. Refugee claims are based on an individual fear of persecution. It must be targeted to you. These bans on removal to those countries are based on the general harm that you would face, that the whole society would face if we sent you back. But that's the humanitarian situation, right? And and so how does Canada responsibly... um, handle that that that's the that's sort of the that's the the issue that the government and any government will have to address
0: just point three percent of irregular migrants uh, migrants into canada have found or rather found to have a serious criminal past it's the article uh done by brian hill online writer and researcher investigative reporter for global news brian great work thanks for the time much appreciated